church. How are we doing today? I think we uh, got to got to where we need to squeeze in a little bit here at Winter Park. Got some few open seats in the back, I think. So um, people are still kind of coming in, apparently. A little, little late arrivals because of the rain today. Just happy that you're here. Uh, happy that you're here. And, and just uh, uh, honestly, just judging all the people that stayed home because it's raining. And so um, just, you know, just, just feel that. Just feel that disappointment. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Um, no, really, really excited about the message today. Hope you're back uh, next week. Uh, but you probably picked a good one to stay home because this is, uh, this is one of those, um, uh, we make it hard for people to go to hell by making it fun to go to church. This one's, uh, the, the fun will be in the results later. There's not a lot of fun happening uh, today. And I'll get to the message uh, in just a moment. Let's get a quick recap why we're doing this series. We're in a, a season of a church coming out of our, celebrating our 10-year anniversary, uh, where we are restoring and rebuilding. And we thought it was important as we go into this season of, of rebuilding some things. The book of Jeremiah says that, the, that God rebuilt on the, the former foundations, on the former ruins. As he builds something, we need to know what we're building on. First off, we're building on the foundation, the cornerstone that is Jesus. This is his church, it's not our church, but he has given us a calling to, to work out this local expression of his body. And at Action Church, we believe that Jesus' action on the cross demands a reaction from us. We're either going to reject it or we're gonna receive and react to it. And we were starting the church and really trying to figure out what type of church would Action Church be. The Holy Spirit took me to 1 Timothy chapter four, Paul writing to a young pastor, me being young at the time, 28, 29 years old as we're, we're moving here. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example. And we find our 10 reaction statements in 1 Timothy chapter four. And the first one was, was set an example. And that example was gonna be how we live our life, a life full of joy. Week one, we make it hard for people to go to hell. We're making it fun to go to church. Christians should be Fun. Christians should have joy. If we've received grace, mercy, redemption, salvation, things that we could never earn, we should be people, more often than not, that add value, don't take it away. That add to the environment, don't suck the life out of it. Come on. The church doesn't have to be endured, it can be enjoyed. And that Christians don't have to be endured, they can be enjoyed. Week two, we're gonna set an example for the believers in what we say. And we talked about that we are encouragers, that we're gonna add courage to people's journey around us, both through affirmation and through correction. We are going to push people forward. We're gonna add courage. Week three, we're gonna set an example for the believers in the way that we live. We're gonna live generously that we're not called to, to hoard or to hold on. We're called to live a, an open-handed life. God, you bless me so I can be a blessing to other people. As a Christian, our life should be marked by generosity. Week four, we're gonna set an example for the believers and how we love, that we're gonna do anything short of sin to reach people. And to reach people that nobody's reaching, we have to do what nobody else is doing. There is no stigma. There is no uh, uh, boundary. There is nobody that is too far gone for, for Jesus. All have fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That means all of us. So all people deserve an opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel. Last week, we're gonna set an example for the believers in our faith. And we use 2 Kings chapter four with Elisha and the widow. She gathered the jars and poured out the oil and we decided we're not gonna settle for measurable prayers or measurable faith. But our God is a God in Ephesians 3.20, God, now to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more, exceedingly abundantly than we could ask, 
think or even imagine. And we got those cards and we began to believe for some things. And I hope that you've been praying over those cards, believing, having a faith that we're gonna do all that we can do. And then when we run out, the gap between where we run out and what needs to happen is where faith comes in and we're gonna believe for immeasurably, immeasurably more. Week six, we're gonna set an example for the believers in our purity. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. You know, if you're going to set an example in your, your character, your purity, your, your morality, how we live our life, that, that's not going to be a, a, a fun sermon. If you're a first-time guest, please go back to last week. Immeasurably more was really fun. Anything short of sin was really fun. We had two weeks that were really great. And so just, just give us a little breather today. Make, before you make your decision, go listen to the last two, because this one, this one is the idea is we're called to be a thermostat, not a thermometer that we're, we're called to not adjust and fit into our surroundings. We're called to stand out and to set the tone, to set the climate, to set the temperature. I can't think of anything in this world that, that is more uh, divisive, especially in a home, than a thermostat. Come on. Is anybody else uh, married to, or your kids, or your mom, or your grandmom, your dad, your granddad, and you have two totally different views of what the climate should be that you live in? I don't think there's anything I disagree more with than my wife, Gabby, than what the temperature should be. This girl will walk outside. It'll be 73 degrees. And she's like, it's cold out there. It's a little windy. I need a jacket. She'll be, she looks like she's ready for a ski trip when it's 65 degrees. I'm surprised she doesn't have a blanket and a campfire down here right now. We have a space heater in every room of our house. Seriously, we have multiple space heaters. You just find her walking around something, just carrying a portable space heater with her all the time. She actually, we went to uh, some of our best friend's in Richmond for New Year's, and she went on Amazon and shipped a space heater to Richmond. She wants to turn on the heat anytime it gets below 70, and we're not doing it. Like, I'm not sleeping in a sauna. She would like to turn the heat to like 75, and if you know, you can't breathe in there. Like, there's no airflow. Like, I'm sweating. I'm like, no, listen, I can't can't remove any more clothing, but you can do blankets and sweatshirts and hoodies. So she goes to sleep, sweatpants, hoodie, four blankets. Space heater. <laughs> if you know anything about the thermostat, you know that it's not, it's not something to be argued over. Somebody's gonna have to make a decision at some point. And I just wanna let you know, at my house, I am the thermostat. It's not on the wall. It's me. I set the temperature in this house. And I need you to get today that phrase in your life spiritually and practically that we walk around and say, I am the thermostat. That God defines who I am and what I'm supposed to be. And when I walk into culture, when I walk into the classroom, when I walk into the office, when I walk into my sphere of influence, I am the thermostat. I want us all to be able to say that today. That we set the environment. We set the culture. We set the temperature. God created environments, and then he placed the created in those environments. God is a culture setter. He is an environment creator, and you and I are called to do the same thing. The question that I want to ask today, and I want to ask it over and over again, will you and I change the world, or will the world change us? Will you and I change the world, 
for the better, with helping people and, and serving people and being kind and being compassionate. But will we go into those settings and not allow us to be pulled down, but to pull people up, not allow the world and culture to define who we're going to be, but we are defined by who created us. What he says about us. We're called to be thermostats, not thermometers. We're called to adjust and set and change the environments that God has placed us in. I want to use a passage in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 13 and 14, to, to kick us off uh, uh, this morning. What we see here is the people of God, they have left uh, um, Egypt in captivity. They've crossed the Red Sea. Now they're wandering uh, in the wilderness, and they come to the promised land uh, finally, and they send over 12 spies. And if you're in church, you're familiar with this story. They send over 12 spies to get a lay of the land. Two come back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb. Ten come back with a negative report, and we see what happens here. Let's read Numbers 13 and 14. It's just the importance of our, our words, the importance of our attitude, that we have the ability to change environments, both for the good and for, for the negative. Numbers 13, starting in verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron. This is the, the spies. And the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert uh, of Paran. They, uh, there they reported to them uh, and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified, very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Melekites live in the Geb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. It's a lot of ites in that one. You know what I mean? You get, you get rolling. It really doesn't roll off the tongue. If you've never preached publicly or spoke publicly or read the Bible publicly, when you get in the Old Testament, you better read the cities and names out loud first. You know what I mean? Like it, it can get scary up here. I never sweat more than when I miss preparing for a word. That's why we have Google and YouTube trying to pronounce it throughout the week so I don't sound like an idiot. You know, a little Brian Regan, like hook it on Pahonix, work it for me. You know what I mean? Just up here sounding like I don't read good. No, it's tough. It's a lot of Jebusites, Hittites, Amorites. You get it. You get a lot of people they were scared of. Here's verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. Caleb and Joshua being thermostats in this story, silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we certainly could do it. They knew they could do it. They were remembering, they just crossed the Red Sea on dry land. They were remembering God had just sent the plagues. They have seen the hand of God move. He has promised them this land. And they go to the land and they say, it's just as he told us. It's flowing with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. Joshua and Caleb know what God did and what God said. And instead, we see this, the group of people, the people of Israel settling because of a bad report because of 10 people that weren't setting the culture, they were adjusting to it. They were allowing what they saw in the world and the world around them to define them. And therefore, it cost a whole generation the opportunity to go in the promised land. 40 years stuck because people of God were not standing for what God had told them to do. Look what happened. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim, come from the Nephilim, uh, Nephilim, and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. 
Look at verse 14, or chapter 14. That night, all members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Look at what the, the, the ability to destroy a, a culture, to destroy a, a, a faith because of a bad report. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if we had only died in Egypt or died in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to be, let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We as a people can get stupid really fast. I know what we'll do. We'll go back to slavery. I know what we'll do. We'll return to what used to be. 10 said no, two said yes. That reminds me that the crowd is rarely right. The crowd crucified Jesus. Just because everybody, it's trendy to think this or change this or, or, or begin to talk about this, this is a new way to think. We gotta be very careful that we don't get so progressive that we progress from a standard that God's word is the foundation of our life. And doing the right thing will always produce the right results. Maybe not right away, maybe not right now. Joshua and Caleb lost this argument, but look at what happened through their life and through their lineage. Joshua became the leader of the people of God. When Moses died before they entered the promised land, Joshua was the one that led them to conquer and lead and, and take the promised land. Caleb, from his tribe came the lineage of Jesus. Jesus came from Caleb. So two men, they didn't get the right results in the moment. And sometimes standing up and being a thermostat won't produce what you think should happen in the moment. It may come with some persecution. It may come with some opposition. But I'm here to tell you today, if you will build your life on the only thing that cannot change, and that is the truth and the standard from the word of God, and you will build your life on your relationship with the person of Jesus, Jesus changes everything. Amen. And when you surrender the idea that I care about what a world that is dead set on misunderstanding God and me following God, and I put my cares and I put my hope and I put my affirmation and I put my security, not in what the world thinks about me, but in what God thinks. And from that place, I begin to say, I'm not gonna be defined, I'm gonna define. Jesus can transform your life. I need you to know today, regardless of what you've done, what you've said, where you've been, Jesus can transform anything. Nobody is too far gone. But once Jesus transforms us, church, there should be some things transformed in our life. Like we should live differently. We should be a thermostat, not not a thermometer. Let's, let's look at the compare the two just for a moment. I know, I know it's simple, but I really think this, this could, could stick with you. It says thermostats, they create a climate. They don't just adjust to it. So if we want a certain tone, if we want a certain atmosphere, if we want a certain kind of feel, we need to understand what we're called to do, which is to adjust, which is to, to change. We, we have a, a culture here at, at Action Church that, that we set here of of kindness and compassion and, and empathy, that we're 
challenging people, that we're joy-filled. There's some things that you just feel, hopefully, when, when you come here, when you go to an outreach, when you go to action steps, when you go to a small group. There's things that because there are thermostats, there are people that have set that culture, we feel it. Culture is not something you often see. It's something that you feel. It's not usually tangible. It's more organic. It's more subjective. It's more just kind of in and around. Let, let me illustrate two different settings. We, we should control the environments that we're in. We should walk in and bring joy and bring peace. People should feel better because they've been around us. Come on, let me just use a, a fun example. Two places, uh, it's, it's Sunday afternoon, I just got a little, little hankering, a little hankering for some fried chicken. You ever, ever gone to Popeye's before? Come on, some red beans and rice. Come on, just double, double breast spicy with red beans and rice and some fries. But there's difference, uh, two different chicken places. You, 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 you got Popeye's and then you got, you got Chick-fil-A and they both do great, great work when it comes to fried chicken, but you feel different uh, at each place. You know, Chick-fil-A, you're gonna get your food fast. Uh, at Popeye's, you're gonna get your food slow. I went there one night, they're like, I'll be ready in an hour. An hour? Are we killing the chickens? Like, are we, are, we, are we catching them? Free range, are we running around the parking lot? It's like Oviedo at Townhouse or what's going on around here? Uh, your feet are gonna stick to the floor oftentimes at a Popeye's. You know, you're, you're gonna get good food, but the culture is, is different. Culture is how you feel. It's the difference between a, a really bad hotel resort and a really great hotel resort. Culture is what you feel. I wanna ask you today, how do people feel when they're around Do people, do people leave changed or, or do you change? I just lost my voice. <laughs> Speaking of change, I need some water. <coughs> Thank you, sir. Wow. You're going to know why this is happening in just a moment because this message is not going to be fun in about 30 <laughs> seconds. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Get hydrated. Get hydrated, Pastor. There you go. Thank you. I think we're good. All right. When we walk into an environment, are we the thermostat or, or are we the thermometer? I need to make sure you know that a thermometer is inside of a, of a thermostat. So there is a need for us to understand the relationships and the environments that we're in. What I'm saying is there's an awareness, there's emotions, there's feelings involved, and we need to understand our own, and we need to understand others. <clears throat> to change the, the setting, to change the temperature, we have to first read it to know what we're gonna change it to. So we can't come into settings and environments and relationships like this, this mean, angry Christian where you're gonna turn or you're gonna burn, or if you don't change that, you're going to hell. But we do have to tell people the truth. The truth is that if we do not repent from our sins, we will spend an eternity apart from God in hell. That if we take responsibility for our own life and say, I'm not listening to God, I'm gonna do me, there will be a time we will take responsibility for all your decisions. Now, Jesus die to take those away from you, but if you don't surrender your life to him, you will pay for that. And we cannot settle for fitting in. We cannot settle for adjusting. We must set the environments and we must set them on what God says. 
There's too many things happening right now, even inside the church, even inside of Christian circles, that just, they don't make any sense. We can't redefine something that God has already defined clearly. If we start to do that, that makes us God and him not. You should have no other gods before me when you begin to dictate what's right and what's wrong and what's true and what's not true. You begin to be God. God, I like this about you, but I don't like this. And it's seeping into the church. We, we, have, we, have, we have church people, Christians, that are pro-abortion. Like, where did we... We should go back to Egypt. What are we thinking? And we say things like, my body, my choice. I agree. The problem is that's not your body. That's another human life form. And I'm not, I'm not shaming anybody. I'm not saying that we don't all go through tough situations. I'm not saying what I would do. I'm saying that we cannot redefine what God has defined. That before I knew you and before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. That we are not just destroying a person. We're destroying a purpose. It's crazy that we define the value of life based off of what side of town somebody's born on or what their skin color is or what national border they are born in, that we think we're more valuable just because we're Americans. I am so grateful we live in the best country in the world, but that doesn't make you better than anybody. You didn't put yourself here. You just showed up. By the way, can we stop? Birthdays are the funniest thing. We should just celebrate mothers on birthdays. We literally did nothing. Like we literally just showed up. And that's what we did. And we, we, we wear sometimes our patriotism, which I am, I am the biggest patriot you know, but we wear it like we're better than people. We're not better than people. Where I was born, my skin color, my, my economic background, none of that makes me better. We, we've let this stuff seep into the church. We've got Christians that are confused on gender identity. Well, I don't know what gender I am. Look down. Got it. I'm not trying to be crude. I'm trying to be simple. And we live in a free country with free will. So you can identify. You can make any decision that you want. I'm, I'm fine with that. What I'm saying is you can't redefine what God defined. And he gave you a purpose. He had a purpose and he created a person, which means when we say that I'm going to change it, we're not just saying that, that it's me. We're saying that I, I believe God is wrong and that he made a mistake. And we cannot redefine what God has defined. And I know you're mad right now, some of you, and this is not a political thing, this is a spiritual thing. Both of these topics, all three of these topics, that they will be politicized for power, but they are not political topics, they are people topics, and we have allowed the world to redefine what God has defined so clearly. And don't be mad at me. Be mad at God. I'm just the messenger. I didn't write it. And here's the question. When you disagree, when you don't see it that way, in your life, have you surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus? Let me ask it this way. Does God, in your life, does God have the right to be right? Does God have the right to be right in your life? And if not, I would submit to you that you're not fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. We don't get to pick and choose what parts of his standard of his call, of his purpose. We don't get to 
It's not a buffet. It's not a multiple choice. It's Lord of all or not Lord at all. Will we be a thermostat or a thermometer? Will we change the world or will the world change us? I'm gonna give you three practical things on, on how we do that. And they all come from a passage of scripture in Romans 11. Uh, in 12, the, the three themes here. Romans 11, uh, ending the, the chapter, it says this. How do, we, how do we change? How do we adjust from just being a thermometer and be a thermostat? Well, we have to allow God to transform some things, to restore some things, to renew some things. Romans 11, it says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. It's impossible because he's God and we're not. He's the creator and we're the created. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to, to give him advice? Isn't it funny when we try and give advice to God? You ever had one of your little kids tell, try and tell you what to do? You, you ever had one of your little kids be in the back seat and be like, I, I think you missed the turn. You can't even see the road. I remember, I, I, Dad, I, I, are we lost? No, we're not lost. I, when we try and give God advice, when we try and tell him, we God, I don't, really think, I don't really think that that's fair. I don't really think that that's right. It's like our little kids in the back seat trying to tell us how to drive. And who has given him so much that he needs to, to pay it back? Like, what do we have to offer God who has everything? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever, amen. Romans 12, here, here's the challenge. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice that we have to surrender some things. We have to let go of some things, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Verse three, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves, not by the world's standard, not by the world's opinion, not by what's popular, but by faith that God has given. Practically speaking, how do we renew our minds? How do we allow God to transform us? Because we cannot do this on our own. It is not natural to surrender. It is not natural to submit to God's standard. It's not a natural thing. In our flesh, we do not want to do this. That's why we sin and we fall short and we continue to make mistakes, but we have to allow our spirit to rise up and God change us and transform us from the inside out. Only he can do that. What's our responsibility? And write this down. First one, recognize our sins. We need to recognize our sins. The sins what separate us from God. And there are things in our life that we're continuing to do that are separating us from him. First Corinthians chapter six says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. All of these sins separate us. It's not, an, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's just the start of everything that we do separates us from God without a relationship with Jesus. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit 
of God. There are things in our life that we're doing. And have you noticed that oftentimes we call other people's sin, sin, and we call our sin issues? I just got a little issue with gossiping. Just got a little issue with the buffets. Just got a little issue with a substance. I'm working on it. But yours, yours is sin. We like to point out other people's sins while calling ours just, just I'm just struggling. No, our sin is separates from God. And we, we have to recognize that we're a sinner in need of a savior. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. Again, it's not, it's not self-help. It's not try harder. It's no, God, I can't do this. I give this to you and allow you to, to transform it. We need to recognize our sins. The second one, write this down, regulate our words. We need to regulate our words. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will, will reap the consequences. What language do we use? How do we talk to people? How do we talk about people? You know, sometimes kids are, are great mirrors. I remember those same two boys in the back seat. They're off, oftentimes, you know, as parents, sometimes we, we, we tell our kids uh, not to do something, but then we do the exact thing that we tell them not to do. Like we tell them like not to call people names, but then like we call people names. Like anybody else just want to have a, a, a spirit of confession this morning. Like I, I, don't, I don't do well like in traffic, in, in situations that require patience. Uh, I don't have an action sticker on my car for a reason. Uh, my, my windows are tinted, my windshield's tinted. I don't want you to see what's going on in there. It's not, God's working it out. You know what I mean? He's working it out. It's, changing the way that I think he's renewing my mind. And I remember, you know, sitting in a stoplight and, and be like, hey, idiot. It's the skinny one on the right. When you push it, you go forward. Kingston's like, daddy, we don't say idiot. We don't call people names, son. I wasn't calling a name. I was just speaking factual statements. No, we need to regulate our words. We need to, to make sure that what we say is, is positive, that it's life-giving, that it's, it's uplifting, that we're adding value to people's lives, that we're not tearing people down, that we're not always talking about people. We need to regulate our words. Recognize our sin, regulate our words. And here's the last one, rejoice in everything. Rejoice with everything. It's a different posture. Check this out in Psalms 118. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. How do we renew our mind? How do we be a thermostat? Do we, we get this principle of just rejoicing. Well, pastor, I'm going through a tough season. I, I just had a loss. I just had some trauma. I just had some, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a hospital room. My, my kids are, are, are crazy right now. How can I rejoice? We rejoice because this is the day the Lord has made. And if you still got breath in your lungs, he's still got a purpose for you. We got to stop allowing the enemy to keep us just adjusting and, and the, believing the bad reports and asking why me. We need to su substitute why me for, God, what are you trying to do now? Like wherever this day that you've given me takes me, I will rejoice because I'm with you. I'm in your presence. I'm following your purpose. Like it doesn't have to be. That's why worship is intentional. I'm placing value. It's not how I feel. It's what you deserve. I'm not rejoicing because what, what, what I see around me, I'm rejoicing because what I've received through your son, Jesus, that I got what I could never earn on my own. So this is the day you've made. It's gonna be a tough day. 
I'm going to rejoice because you're going to build some perseverance. This is the day that you've made. It's going to be faced with some loss, so I'm going to thank you for your peace. This is the day that you've made. It's going to be full of stress. Well, I'm going to thank you that you've given me the ability to overcome that. We got to recognize our sin. We got to regulate our words. We got to rejoice with everything. The world is trying to get us to adjust. And this message is simply stop adjusting to what's around you. Allow God to change you, and then you change every environment, every relationship that you walk into. You need to stand for some things. In a world that is committed to settling, the church needs to stand. Needs to stand for life. Needs to stand for loving all people not separating people in categories based off of preference and skin color, politics and personal beliefs. Hear me very clearly this morning. I'm not talking about walking into environments and telling everybody what's wrong with them in every situation. I'm saying you live out your faith in a bold way. I'm gonna love you but I'm not gonna allow you to change me. I'm gonna stay right here founded on God's principles. God's calling us to be a thermostat to change the setting, to change the surroundings. Too many of us have mistook our personal relationship with Jesus and we've turned it into a private relationship with Jesus. And when we're here, I didn't say, I think one of the biggest challenges is that we're thermometers and we don't even know it because when we're around good people, we're around church people, we're here, God, we feel the worship and we feel the word. But then when we go somewhere else, we don't change the environment, it changes us. So my prayer for you, and I hope for your prayer for yourself and for your family and for your purpose this week is God, allow me in every situation to know you, to know your standard, to know your purpose, and then stand firm and set the tone, set the culture, set the temperature, because I'm gonna be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Will the world change you, or will you change the world? Let's bow our heads at every location, every head bowed, every eye closed. I wanna pray with you. God, thank you for challenging words. I pray today that we would all be convicted. We've all got some issues. And Holy Spirit, I pray that we would surrender. Just like that song we sang earlier, all of me. And we give you our thoughts, we give you our opinions, we give you our questions, doubts, and fears. Allow us to be a church that loves so intentionally. But as we go and love, all the people that we're called to love and to reach and allow us to carry a spirit of purity and holiness, character, compassion. We would set the environment. Church, every head bowed, every eye closed, I will give you an opportunity today to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus. Say, Pastor, I've been adjusting, I've been kneeling, I've been settling. If I'm honest, I just fit in to whatever environment. But I want to be different. 
I want to stand out. I want to set the tone. Well, we talked about it. The only way you can do that is through Jesus. Lived a perfect life for you, died a sinner's death as you, what you and I both deserve. Raised to new life, giving us victory. Our responsibility to enter into this relationship, Romans 10, confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. If you do that, you can and will be saved. I want to give you that opportunity today for the first time ever, for many of you others, I don't know what caused you to believe the bad report, to doubt, but you have been rescued. You've been set free, but something in the wilderness season has caused you to to lose faith. And God brought you here today for that faith to be restored, for you to recommit your life to Him. If that's you and you want to start or restart that relationship with Jesus today, I'd love to pray with you. Could you raise your hand right where you are so I know I'm praying with? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Cup on the back. Several right here. Must be eight, nine, ten on this right side. Come on in the middle. Just a couple in the middle. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Several more in the back here. Come on the stadium. Starting or restarting a relationship with Jesus. Leaving the wilderness, walking into the promised land as you surrender your life to Jesus. Come on, Oviedo and Sanford. And anyone joining us online. You can put your hands down. If you raised your hand, would you pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud? Say this, say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you. I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I repent from those sins. I put my trust in you and you alone. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you, Jesus, are Lord. And I give you that place today. Thank you. And we thank you for meeting us here. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate all the decisions that were just made? Come on, so proud of you.